All right, Psalm 23. I want you to leave here trusting Jesus more, right? Leave here seeing Jesus more beautiful. That's the goal of today. It's the goal of every week, right? And the goal of this text is to drive us there. I return to this, this psalm over and over again, like uh, uh, Marley read it at the beginning. I return here so much, I figured out why. Because my nature, by the way, uh, is... Uh, I said I was re- rebellious one time, and someone said, you're not rebellious, you're just contrarian. And what they meant was, uh, you're just going to disagree with everybody. You're just going to do the opposite just because. Not, not for any like, noble reason, like rebel, like rebelliousness, just like, you just like to be difficult. Uh, but I, I grew up in a church that, that primarily preached out of, or churches that primarily preached out of the, uh, the Pauline epistles, like Paul's letters. It's primarily where they preach from. I almost never, I don't know if you've noticed, like I have to make myself do that just to be different. Like I'd much rather preach like this Old Testament narrative just to be different. I don't know why. It's not healthy. I'm not saying it's good. Uh, I'm saying it's how I am. So why do I return to this very common psalm over and over? Like even people who aren't Christians know of this psalm. It's entered into just the thinking of the culture without even knowing maybe where it comes from. And I realized why, I, I was thinking about why do I just constantly return here over and over again willingly. And one is just because of the beauty beauty of the psalm. It's just beautiful. It is, it's just, it's these two images. It's of a sheep and shepherd and and, and a king and a feast. And it's just beautiful. It's simple. I love the simplicity of, simplicity of the psalm. It was the first scripture that I remember memorizing as a child. My parents put this in front of me, and this was the first thing that I memorized. It's so simple and beautiful uh, that I think a child not only can memorize it, but benefit from it, right? I mean, the imagery of, you don't even have to dig deep to get a sense of peace and trust. It It just seeps out of the imagery of the psalm. So I love the beauty and simplicity of it, but I also love the depth of it. I love how it addresses or it speaks to me in, in every phase of, phase of life I've ever been in. Uh, it just, no matter where I'm starting from, I find this psalm helpful. And so I come back here, but also there's a childlikeness to it, even though it helps me as an adult. There's a simplicity and childlikeness to it, right? In, in the sense of, well, you know, when Jesus said, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like these children, one of the things that I think he meant there was there's a simple trust and a simple confidence that a child has and that we have to be like that if we want to enter the kingdom. And I think this psalm just exudes that. It is deep and it is rich. It is simple and it is beautiful. It is all of these things. I also think I return here uh, to it a lot because there's this thing in it that I want, which is this soul level peace and serenity. Not a surface level, not the peace when I'm like, I'm in the bathroom, can you leave me alone for 45 seconds kind of peace, you know? Can I just have some peace and quiet? Not that kind of peace. A soul level serenity. Man, I want that. And that's what this psalm speaks of. Uh, you know, so much in life, I think, that we think about and talk about, well, how about this? You know, if someone says, like, how is life? And you're, not have, you're having more than a surface-level conversation, right? Because surface-level is like, you know, we're busy. Like, we're all running around like crazy. Yep, that's true. It's just a thing we say, right? But how are you in your life? How does your soul, how, how does life sit with your soul, right? It's a different question. 
Like how goes it with you? Or how about this? What if someone, and this is gonna become more and more common, it's already becoming pretty common, someone who maybe doesn't know Jesus or doesn't follow Jesus asks you, what's it like to follow Jesus? I want to be able to answer with the psalm. Let's just read it again because it's amazing. All right, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, just in case you don't know, maybe you, you, this is the first time you're encountering this psalm. These psalms are the prayers of the people of God. Uh, they are the songs of the people of God. And this one is written by uh, a man named David. David was a, well, he was, he was a shepherd and he was a king. Um, he speaks of what he, he writes about what he knows. Uh, and so David writes this psalm uh, after many years of probably being a king and after many years of being uh, a shepherd and observing sheep. He writes this prayer about what it's like to follow God, what it's like to be a child of God. And so this is what, how he describes it, it being uh, a follower of Yahweh. He says, the Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He says that uh, uh, God is my shepherd, Yahweh is my shepherd. He is the one who guides me and protects me. So the result of that, the consequence is, therefore, I, I shall not want. I have everything that I need. Because he's my shepherd, I know that everything that I need is provided for me already. And then he says this, he makes me lie down. He begins to describe what that looks like. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is not, I don't believe, leisure, right? I think there's a temptation to read this. At least there's a temptation for me to read this as leisure, uh, this is not an all-inclusive resort, right, where there's just a buffet and a pool bar, right? That's not, that's not still waters and, and grass. That's not what's going on. I, I, not, not that I'm against vacation. Uh, it's just that uh, I think that, I mean, I think most of our vacations end up the same way. Uh, the week leading up to it is insane. The week following is insane. And there's just really almost like no rest. Or either way, right? Like we go on vacation, even if it was restful, we come back and we're the same people living the same life. I mean, nothing's really changed, right? That's not what he's talking about. It's not just a life of leisure. God is my shepherd, so life, so life is leisurely. This is about nourishment without fear. This is about soul-level things. Look, the parallel line is, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me like angry pastors. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is about 
the restoration of the very center of his being. Not because I follow God do I have leisure, but because God is my shepherd, because he guides me, I have soul-level restoration, soul-level completeness. Regardless of what is going on in life, this is what's happening in my soul. No matter how good it is, because here's the thing about life that's interesting. I was I don't know why. I think about the high times and we think about the low times. And the reality is most of life, most, for most of us, most of life is le- lived in between, right? It's not all highs and lows. There's like a big chunk of life that's like just daily dealing with myself. Daily dealing with relationships, daily dealing with situations, daily rhythms. Not highs and lows, but just dealing with the chaos of being me. And, and, and he says that his life, his inner soul on a daily basis feels nourished and safe and unafraid. That is the image that is here. He gives comfort. And he says this, he restores my soul. I think I was like, this what, restores from what? And the answer is pretty obvious, right? It's restoration from wandering, right? We, I, we do that, right? There's two temptations, right, for a sheep, right? One is that the sheep just wanders off by itself, right? The individual, like I'm just going to take this path and just not paying attention and just wanders off by itself. The other danger would be that the sheep just follows the herd blindly, right? And this is the danger of our soul, right? The danger for us is the David, looking at his sheep and having, pastured, uh, having shepherded sheep for so long, recognizes that the one that wanders off and the one that just blindly follows, these are both dangers for the soul. Uh, for to go off on my own thinking that I don't need a shepherd any, any longer, or just for my soul to just go along with whatever is going on around me. To be caught up in just the pressures of the world, the thoughts of the world, the thinking and the acting like the world. The restoration comes from God, from our wandering, which I think is amazing, right? Because you would wonder, like, uh, if I wander away from God just following another, another group of sheep, or if I, if I wander away from God on my own thinking I don't need him and forgetting that I need a shepherd altogether, uh, what do you think his response would be? Uh, I, punishment, uh, anger, wrath, and it says that the response to God is that he restores the soul. He puts us back in the right place. That's amazing. Because what's happened, by the way, when I wander off on my own is, uh, it happens pretty frequently in my life, in the history it has of my life. What's happening is, uh, basically, I get into my head that uh, I am a sheep who can drive a ship. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I got this. No problem at all. I can work these knobs and buttons with these hooves. I got this. Like, and I think that I have it under control, and the next thing you know, I'm anxious and afraid, and I wonder why. Is it perhaps possible that I'm not equipped to sh- sh- just to... to drive a ship? Yeah, that's really possible that I'm not equipped to, to drive the ship of my own life. And so he says, what do I do when I turn around and I scream, help me, I need help? The response is he restores a soul. Jesus tells this amazing story. He's talking to a group of people and they're trying to, they're talking about this, this, this children, all this stuff, all these things. And Jesus just stops and he, stops, he says this amazing thing. He goes, what do you, like who, don't, you, don't you all know a shepherd that if had 100 sheep and, and he had 99 but one of them had gone missing, he would leave the 99 and go chase down the one so it could be restored? 
Like that is the image. That is what he is like. A God that doesn't look up and go like, when I find this sheep, I'm going to kick it. <laughs> the kind that finds the sheep and says, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to carry it back where it goes, where it belongs so I can restore the soul. That's what's talking about in this, pa- this passage. Soul level nourishment, soul level fear. Being so unconcerned that whatever happens tomorrow will be fine because my soul will be nourished. The very part of me that I live out, my desire, my passion, my thinking, my feeling, everything that I need will be supplied by my shepherd. That is, because David's life wasn't easy. David was under no delusion that no bad thing. He was, several times in his life, people were literally trying to kill him. And David says, my soul is nourished no matter what is going on because God is my shepherd. I love this so much. I want this. How do you have this peace? Where does this peace come from? And, and so this is where it says, he says, makes me like I'm going to pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even if I walk through the valley of shadow of the death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. This soul level comfort, this soul level assurance, this soul level trust comes from not the strength of my faith. It comes from the strength of the object of my faith. Does that make sense? You will be confident to the level that you trust the, what you are trusting, their ability, its ability to get you what you need. How much confidence do I have in what I'm trusting to supply what I need? And and David's argument is, because I trust God, my confidence is off the chart. My trust is off the chart. I don't have to worry as much. I don't have to worry at all because my confidence is so off the chart. I think it's a problem, right? Look, let me say it this way. It is possible, I believe, to pursue this, not to pursue this, but to maybe even have it momentarily, at least for a little while, this type of peace, this type of rest, apart from Jesus. Say with me, I'm not saying that's the way you should go. I think it's possible for a second, possibly. Here's what it is. If I have this rest and trust that everything's going to be okay tomorrow, how do I arrive there? Well, one of the ways that you can get there is that you could just work yourself to the bone. You could work so hard to accomplish all things or be given all the things that you need, and you just lay it out. No matter what happens, everything's going to be okay because I have provided this for myself. I am to the place mentally where I think well of myself, even, and I'm placed financially or, or economically stable. I live in a place where everything's going to be fine. You could possibly work yourself there momentarily. You know, except for death and sin. You know, so, but let's say you work yourself there and you're like, you know what? I I want this and I feel like if I just had this one thing and you work really hard to get here. Here's the problem with that though. Uh, One, problem one, uh, that's only available to a very few of you. Not very many of us will ever have that level of wealth, that level of stability that we don't worry about anything ever again. That our soul is content. That's not available to very many of us. Second problem with it is, even if it was available to you, 
the way that you would have to get it would require so much work. I wonder by the time that you had it, if you could enjoy it. Does that make sense? Like, how about this? You work so hard, you're going to get enough money in your savings or whatever, or you're going to get the exact right relationship or whatever it is that you need to be okay. And you go work so hard day in and day out to have it that once you have it, you're no longer the type of person who even knows how to rest. Have you ever looked at these people with like millions of dollars and wonder, like, why does Warren Buffett get up in the morning and go to work? Do you know how many billions of dollars that dude has? Why does he go to work in the morning? What else would he do? It's all he knows how to do, probably. Like, he probably doesn't know how to rest. I, I don't know him, but, yeah, I would, like, because I, I think all the time, right? I think the wrongest I've ever been in my entire life, I was sitting around talking to my friends, this is long, this is forever ago, and there's this new guy coming out, he's a high school kid, Nike was going to give him $90 million, and his salary was going to be insane to come play uh, basketball in the NBA. And I said, no way you give an 18-year-old kid $90 million and he still works hard. That was LeBron James. I was really wrong. He's done great. He's done fine. But I mean, generally, though, that's true, right? Like, if you gave me $5 million, I don't know that I show up for work tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I just don't know. But if I was the type of person who had to go work hard enough to make $5 million, by the time I get there, I don't know that I'm the type of person who can't show up for work tomorrow anymore. I have to. It's just who I am now. The third problem with this way of trying to find soul-level rest with your own two hands is there's no guarantee that when you get the thing that you want that it actually fulfills you for very long. There's just no guarantee. Like, do you remember growing up as a kid, the thing that you wanted most for Christmas, like one year, right? Like, you're like and, and that you're thinking, you would have never articulated it this way as a child, but your thinking is, if I could just have this bicycle, if I could just have this bike that I could take off of that sweet jump at the end of the street, everything would be great. My life would be perfect forever. You don't say it that way. If I just had walkie-talkies, everything would be amazing forever. You think that way. The problem is that we just don't grow out of it. It's, we, just, we, we, just, we just get bigger and bigger and bigger things. If I could just live in this neighborhood, if I could just drive this car, if I could just send my kids to this school, if I could just, 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 and you have really no guarantee that when you get that, it's actually all, all you thought it was going to be. They're not necessarily bad things. It just becomes bad when we think that we're going to somehow achieve soul-level peace when they come because it's just going to disappoint us and wreck us. I want what David has in this psalm, and I, don't, I know that it's beyond me. I've tried too many times to lay a hold of it with my own two hands. So it is not in my ability to lay hold of it. It's in my ability to let go that this peace comes. It's so counterintuitive, right? If you want this soul-level peace, if you want confidence, everything in me says, everything in the world that I live in says, go work, get it, lay hold of it. This psalm says, stop and let go. There's nothing in your hands that you can do. Just trust God. Have faith that he will give you what you need. Let go and let him supply you with what you need. The problem, of course, then is we often have a disagreement about what we think I need. God and I often do not agree on what I need. 
And that becomes the danger. That becomes the hard part of following and letting go because I have very clear picture in my head of what I need and it's different than God's a lot of times. And David has arrived at a place in his life when he says, you know what? I trust God that whatever I need is what he's given me. I, I am in a place now where I can let go of my idea of what I need and trust his idea of what I need. And it's getting easier the older I get because as every year goes past, is another year of evidence that I'm really bad at knowing what I need. Another, like there's, there's no evidence in my, in my life that when I get to pick what I think is good for me, that I'm a very good judge of that. You think one year I just give up. But I want this soul level confidence to work and to let go and to trust and to be free that my soul, no matter what happens, is confident that tomorrow it will have all that it needs. So the reason this time through the psalm, um, I have been obsessed with this one line and we're just now coming to it. This one line I've obsessed with, I just can't stop thinking about it. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness. What does that mean? I've been thinking about it all week, like maybe longer than a week. Paths of righteousness. What, like, he leads me on paths of righteousness. And so, because my instinct is, and I guess I just, I just always just naturally read it as, Jesus is gonna make me do good things, right? Like, I'm gonna have to do good things instead of bad things. That's what paths of righteousness are. Like, instead of, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes, drinking whiskey, whatever it is bad people do. I don't know, you know. Instead of doing that, he's gonna make me go to Bible study, right? Like, that's paths of righteousness, Right? That's not, that doesn't, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense in this. It doesn't make sense that he's like, because what he says is he's going to restore my soul and he's going to lead me. I keep thinking that if I, if I just give up the cigarettes and the whiskey or whatever and start, start studying the Bible, then Jesus is going to come on and he's going to give me this soul rest. That's all out of order. He restores my soul and then he leads me down these paths of righteousness. And I, I, I just always just associated the paths of righteousness with the things that I do. And of course, the things that we do matter. But I wonder if paths of righteousness, I wonder if it's more than what we do. Because what we do, that, that's a result, right? It's a consequence. I wonder if paths of righteousness also have to do with my patterns of thinking and feeling. Right? Because what I do flows out of my patterns of thinking and feeling, right? Right? I mean, the paths that are before you in life, right? And we think about, I think we think big picture, right? Like where you go to like school or where your kids go to school or whatever and, and where you're going to get a job and where you're going to live. and what. I think we think big paths like that. But I mean, don't you have 10,000 paths every single morning that you get to pick when you wake up in the morning about how you're going to be today? I mean, aren't you presented with all of these temptations of what to value and what to feel and what to think and who you are and what matters and what doesn't matter? I mean, aren't you just flooded with all of these decisions about how you're going to make today go a normal everyday rhythm of life? How am I going to make it go? What am I going to think and feel and move? And then as a response, do? What if he wants to lead me down? In contrast, at the very beginning of the Psalms, right, the Psalm 1, it, begin, it talks about don't, don't sit in the counsel of the wicked. What if paths of righteousness are the 
contrasted with the ways of thinking of the counsel of the wicked. I am instead going to listen to the counsel of God and follow him down the paths that he would lead. Why? For my good. Yes. But also for his namesake. Here's Here's what I mean. What if soul restoration comes this deep soul level peace. By the way, the biblical word is shalom if you want to know it. Like this deep level, everything is right with the world. What if that comes into my heart and my life no matter what is going on circumstantially? Not when I get my steps in check, the things that I do every day, but when I begin to align my thinking and feeling to what Jesus has said is true. You see the difference? Like my impulse is like, you know what? I got to buckle down and read through the Bible in a year, which I'm for, by the way. I'll help you do it. Uh, But if I buckle down and do these things, then I'll have this soul level restoration. And that's not what it all, at all what it says. It says that the paths of righteousness that are laid out before me, that God leads me down, they're simply the things that he says are true. So we fast forward to the New Testament, right? To the, to, the, to the shepherd king that is Jesus, right? And he starts saying crazy things like you can become a child of God. He starts saying crazy things like he loves you enough to die for you. Like he starts saying crazy things like you have access to the kingdom of God. He's come to bring the kingdom of God into the world the way that God is, the way that God's world works, the way that his, wherever, whatever God's realm is, that it's going to invade is even now here because of him and he's bringing it into the world. He begins to teach about that and then he has the audacity to actually bring it into people's lives by healing them and teaching them. And what if he says, when you yoke yourself to me, come to me, you who are tired and heavy laden, yoke yourself to me, my burden is light. And as I bring the kingdom of heaven into ordinary everyday life, you are going to come and be about that with me. God is going to bring the kingdom of heaven into every single day, ordinary moments of your life. I mean, isn't that what Jesus was doing? He would just show up at like dinners in people's houses and like heal people and speak truth and confront sin. What if he's bringing the kingdom into every day of my life in these moments of my life? And so when I get beat up by my sin, I get beat up by my shortcomings, I get beat up by the things that I've done and the things that have been done to me. What if instead I begin to go into God's presence in prayer and begin to shape my thinking to his where he says the most important thing about you is how much I love you and that you are mine? What if I begin to shape my mind and my thinking into those ways? What if that is a path of righteousness that he leads me down? I mean, wouldn't I go do different things in the world if I believed that every morning? What if in my relationships, right? What if in my marriage, I just, on days when my wife doesn't necessarily deserve it, which I'm not saying that that happened, but anyway. So uh, theoretically, days that she doesn't deserve to be loved because of the way that she's treated me, what if I just go ahead and love her anyway? What if that's a path of righteousness? What if I just love her anyway? 
She does the same to me. And when we live in this relationship where we both are laying down what we could have for ourselves to see the other uh, flourish in life, and what, what if that's just a path of righteousness in my thinking and feeling that God is leading me down and that my soul is restored in this? What if there are people that have hurt me and deeply wronged me and I do not want to forgive them, but I just go ahead and work at it anyway? What if that's a path of righteousness? Here's the tricky thing about paths of righteousness, I think. They're probably not going to be the paths that I would have picked for myself. Right? I mean, that's kind of why I need a shepherd, right? right? You need the shepherd because they're not the paths that you would have picked yourself. God, this is not what I wanted for my life. He's like, yeah, I know, but it's what you need. But it's not what I want, but it's what you need. And I learned to find soul-nourishing trust that no matter what is happening in my life, even if it doesn't look like what I need, that I trust God that he's nourishing my soul, that he's feeding me and supplying what I need to grow into what he would have me be. I love this psalm so much. I'm going to stop here. Because last time I preached this, it turned into a three-week sermon series. It's not going to happen. Well, last thing. I love this psalm so much because it doesn't matter where I am, it helps me. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe you are right now, or soon to be, or have been in, a season when you felt your soul nourished. Maybe that's where you're at, like, right? Life is chaotic, but for some reason, God has blessed you with his peace. Uh, that, that he has uh, all of your needs about who you are, all of your needs about your eternity, all of your, your needs about his provision, all of these things, and you just feel nourished. If that's where you're at, these seasons prepare us for the valley of shadow of death. Right? So when we're in the valley, we think back to the nourishment that we had in the grass and in by the still waters. We think back to that and go, you know what? This looks like the valley of shadow of death. It is the valley of shadow of death, but I trust the one who leads me and provides for me. It also works if you're in the valley of shadow of death. The promise of the green pastures and the promise of the still waters we can trust the one who came and died, that we can have life, that that is where he is leading us. There's times when I'm in between and there's times when I've been in both of these places and the trust is no matter what it looks like when I look around to know that my shepherd is leading me to one of these places. We know that Christ came and he died and that by faith in him, we united to him. And here's the thing. Uh, it is absolutely 100% true that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, that we might be forgiven of our sins. By faith in him, our offense to God, not counted against us, but us unrighteous, that credited to Christ and Christ's goodness, his, his perfection credited to us. This is absolutely true. It's 100% true. But I find it interesting that I have an easier time, or at least I say I have an easier time believing that, trusting Jesus with my eternity than I do with trusting him with my tomorrow. Right? That's weird, isn't it? To go like, no, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. Hey, this is what you should do with your money. Hard pass on that, Jesus. 
Hard for me to believe that that's true. Yes, I, I, in eternity you will satisfy me forever with heaven and remade heaven and earth. I trust you for that. Hey, you know what? I know this looks bad, but I, 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 you're with me. Hey, I hear you, but it's hard for me to believe you right now, so I'm just gonna take control of this. It's weird to me that we so easily say that we trust Jesus with our eternity, but yet we don't trust him to feed our soul by just obeying, by just listening by just believing him and trusting him that when he says you forgive as you've been forgiven, I don't want to do that. That's not good for my soul, but it is. I trust you with my eternity, but not with who I forgive. Hey, I need you to love even your enemy. Jesus, I trust you with my eternity, but not with loving my enemy. Nope, not going to do it. That's weird, right? I mean, it almost doesn't make any sense. This trusting Jesus is not just with our eternity. It's trusting him with our entire soul. And the rest that he promises us comes when we have that confidence in who he is and what he's done. So here's how we get it. Here's how we do this. It is with regular attention to who he is and what he is like. Because we tend to forget right? We'll easily forget all that he's done. We'll easily forget what he has done. We'll easily forget what he is like. It's why we come here and we sing these songs and we read these verses and we talk about this and we confess who we are and what we've done. We do all of these things so that we are constantly reminded that the one who did this for you, who came and died on the cross for you, will not let you go tomorrow, will not let you go the next day, that you can have confident trust in the God who is like this and does these things, not just with your eternity, but with your tomorrow with your today, that he loves you and wants good for you. We constantly remind ourselves of these things, point ourselves to these things, put our mind, meditate on these things because we just have built-in forgetters. One of the most interesting things to me in the Old Testament uh, is how often God says, here, do this so that you don't forget. I mean, Exodus, right? This huge thing. Like, like we're not gonna forget how God's led us out of Exodus, out of Egypt, out of slavery. We'll never forget that, right? He's like, oh no, for sure you will. There should be a huge feast every single year. You have to have a huge feast every year. Why? Because you're going to forget in like a generation or two. You know what happens? They have the feast and they still forget. We forget. We're talking this week with somebody and us about, you know, like, I man, if we had just seen these huge things that God had done, like maybe our faith would be like so strong. And I'm like, I don't know. I've seen God do some pretty big things that lasted on like three or four weeks on me. And we just forget. So we come here and we remind ourselves of the truth. We sing these songs, we read these stories, we talk to one another about who he is and what he's like so that our confidence in a God who does this grows, that we can let go of control and trust and believe and rest that tomorrow what you need, your God will provide. Miroslav Volf is a theologian. He said this great thing I think about all the time. He said, much of the Christian life is learning to discern between a stone and a loaf of bread. Jesus said, you know, you who are fathers, he said, don't you know how to give good gifts? He said, if your son asked for a, for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? Your, your heavenly father knows better than that. If they ask for bread, you're not gonna give him a stone, neither would I. And so many times we look at this thing in our hand and go, our situation and go, why have you given me stones, God? And he's like, no, it's bread. You just don't, you can't see right. Learning to discern what is bread and what is a stone is a challenge for us. This trust and this letting go and being able to believe that God will restore our souls when we run to him. Yeah. 
That's why we talk about Jesus. We talk about his death. We talk about his resurrection. And we talk about his return so much because it is the thing that reminds us what you need is provided. Let's pray. Father, may our souls be restored as we learn obedience, not just in what we do, right? But in what we think and feel. When I feel... my lack of worth when I feel like I'm in control, (laughs) when I feel or think that you don't want good for me, God, correct my thinking, correct my feeling so that I can live out of the truth that you are my shepherd. I cannot drive this ship that you are my shepherd, that you protect me. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff are comforts to me. You will protect me and you will guide me. You will guide my steps. Protect me from trying to pick my own path. Protect me from trying to find my own ways, for trying to pick out the most pleasant valleys. I am bad at it. I instead trust Jesus, not just with my eternity, not just with forgiveness of sins, but with the care of my soul. To not forsake worship, to guard my eyes, to protect my heart, to trust you, to teach me to love and to love well, to provide, guide us, guard us. I'm grateful for this church. In Christ's name, we pray, amen.